Today on Blue 58, the Packers sweated out a win over the Vikings and now have accomplished something that we haven't seen in almost two years. Back-to-back wins. How'd they do it? Let's discuss. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here after another Packers win. 2-0 to start the regular season. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting stuff to talk about today. But before we do that, I would like to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Ticket King Wisconsin. Packers are 2-0 and they've got a chance to go to 3-0 and next week at Lambeau Field. You can be there to see it by checking out next week's game in person thanks to tickets from Ticket King Wisconsin. Click on our link at thepowersweep.com to go to Ticket King's website. Get your tickets for next Sunday's game. Visit theticketking.com for tickets. All right. What happened in this game? There's a couple different ways you can look at it. First, you could say that the Packers just sprinted out to an early lead and then leaned on their defense to put it away, which is what happened. You could also say that the Vikings absorbed the Packers' best punch and then rallied to nearly win the game except for a couple sketchy calls. It would be fair to characterize the game that way. In fact, if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, There are ways that I think you could look at this game and feel pretty good about what happened. Sure, you didn't win, but a lot of things had to break the Packers' way for the Vikings to lose this game after the way that they started. The the Vikings were very close. They were within one score right there at the end. Had a couple different things happen on that final play. You never know. They end up in the end zone, and the Packers are sitting here at 1-1. That's not what happened, though. It's 2-0 for the Packers. 1-1 1-1 and one for the Vikings. Why did the Packers win instead of lose, I guess is the, the ultimate key question here, right? We're trying to figure out what happened and why it happened the way it did. So let's dive in. Why did this happen the way it did? Why are we talking about just a five-point Packers win, 21-16, to 16, instead of a more dominant win, instead of a, a win going away, which is what it looked like early on? I think a big part of it is that first, Aaron Rodgers couldn't sustain a hot start. Early on in this game, it felt like being a kid again. It seemed growing up watching Packers football that the Packers always won big every Sunday. Like it was a foregone conclusion that the Packers were going to win. When they didn't win, it was like a surprise. And that's what it felt like watching this game. Everything was clicking. The defense looked good. The offense looked good. And it's 21 to nothing early on. Boy, it just feels like one of those perfect fall afternoons where the Packers are going to dominate an opponent. Rodgers was clicking, play design was great, the play sequencing was even better, and they created a ton of big plays. Throughout the course of this game, the Packers had seven plays of 14 yards or more, and six of those came in the first quarter. Big plays left, right, and center. But then, it seems like something important happened. The Packers' selection of scripted plays came to an end, and Aaron Rodgers got cold, cold, cold. Matt LaFleur comes from the West Coast offense, comes from the Mike Shanahan branch of the West Coast offense. But throughout the all of the, the practitioners of the West Coast offense, it's pretty common to script early plays. Some guys script 15 plays. Some guys script 20 fly, 25. LaFleur told Rob Domovsky earlier this summer that he usually scripts about 20 plays. In an article titled The First 20, How Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers Create the Packers Game Plan, Rob Domofsky has this quote from Matt LaFleur. Quote, I usually go about 20, and a lot of times you can't even get all the way through the script in the first half. 
Those are, to me, the must-calls throughout the game. How many 10-play drives are there in this league? Typically, if there are, there are third downs in there, and you've got red zone, so you're not necessarily running those plays in sequence, end quote. So the important thing is he has those 20 plays dialed up and ready to, ready to go. Those are the things that he is most focused on. He and Rodgers have talked about these plays at length. They know what they're going to do, and they're comfortable with those plays. The Packers' first two drives, both of them touchdowns, took 19 plays total, 20 if you include a false start on Corey Lindsley. Assuming Matt LaFleur scripted just a couple more than that, they had a short field on the next one, so the script may not even matter, but they get up 21 to nothing, essentially on that script. The very next drive, though, after their third touchdown, Geronimo Allison fumbles. From then on, they were definitively off script, even assuming that LaFleur scripts like 25 plays. From that point on, they are off script and they never scored again. In fact, they really didn't ever get any serious offense going at all. During the script, counting their third touchdown drive, every drive gained at least 33 yards and ended in a score. After the script ran out, they had 11 drives. Only three of those drives gained 20 or more yards and five gained fewer than 10 yards. Now, the Vikings have a really good defense. We shouldn't forget about that. But the Packers need to figure out how to keep executing on offense. Because really, looking at two games worth of stuff, they've had about four year, four drives so far this year where the offense has been actually working. The touchdown drive against the Bears, the three touchdown drives against the Vikings. If this offense is working how it should, we should see non-scoring drives where they at least move the ball a little bit. Right now, it's boom or bust. Either they go down and score a touchdown, or they don't go anywhere at all. So that was a big reason that this game turned out to just be a 21 to 16 kind of not really slugfest because there wasn't really much going on in terms of back and forth stuff. The Packers were good and then the Vikings were good, at least as far as offense goes. But it was a back and forth game in in some respects beyond that, more just back and then forth. But I think you see what I'm saying. That's why the Packers only had 21 points. They couldn't sustain that hot, hot start. And I think that started with them getting off that script. The reason the Packers came out on top in this game, again, comes down to their defense. They did give up some big plays. They gave up a 75-yard touchdown run, a 61-yard pass, a 45-yard touchdown pass, and a 30-yard pass. But other than that, they were lights out. And I realize that sounds a little bit like, okay, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But that's how it was. They gave up those big plays, sure, but they still held the Vikings to only 16 points. Dalvin Cook really didn't do any damage other than the 75-yard run. He had 79 yards on his other non-long touchdown run carries, 19 of them, and that's something I think you can live with. That's just over four yards a carry, and running that way put the Vikings in a lot of third and long plays. Based on my in-game charting, I consider a third down and long play, a third and six or more. I circle those as I'm going through the game, writing down what's happening. According to just my on-the-fly stat keeping, the Vikings faced a third and six or more on nine of their 15 drives. And really, it's nine of 14 because that last drive was only one play. It was where they were trying to do lateral stuff and really didn't get anything going. Of those nine third down and long plays, they only converted one which happened to be that 45-yard touchdown uh, to Stephon Diggs, which Jair Alexander probably should have at least broken up and probably intercepted. I take that back. There was another conversion, too, a third-and-seven play where Kirk Cousins 
scrambled and then fumbled, only to recover it and then fumble on the very next play. So two conversions out of nine opportunities, that's a a rate you can live with, especially if you're putting them in those third and down situations pretty regularly. A big reason that they weren't converting those third and long situations was because the Packers pretty much shut down Kirk Cousins. Let's talk for a second about Kirk Cousins too, because a couple of better decisions could have really changed this game. The first interception, he forced it pretty badly. Darnell Savage probably could have picked it off. Great play on the ball there. Ends with what looks like is just going to be a broken up pass, but falls on a bit of a fluky bounce right into Preston Smith's lap. And to his credit, he makes the interception. Good for the Packers. Those fluky bounces happen sometimes. It just so happened that the Packers took advantage of it there. The second interception was much worse. Throwing a pick in the end zone is about the worst thing that you can do as a quarterback other than throwing a pick six. He should have eaten that throw, never put it up in the air. But unfortunately, this appears to be a little bit of a trend for Kirk Cousins. NFL reporter Jim Trotter throws this out there from Pro Football Focus. From the opponent's 10-yard line and in, Kirk Cousins ranks 27th out of 27 qualifying quarterbacks in passer rating since 2017, just a 76.5 passer rating inside the opponent's 10-yard line. He's completed just 44.6% of his passes with the lowest yards per attempt average in that 27 quarterback group. Not great, Kirk. This is his third multi-interception game since joining the Vikings. That's 18 starts worth of games. He had four multi-interception games over his previous 32 games with Washington prior to coming over to Minnesota. Cousins also fumbled, which we mentioned earlier. That came on a pretty great play by Kenny Clark. It was Clark's only sack of the game, the Packers' only sack of the game, too. Uh, but was part of a monster stat line for Clark. He had the the only sack there, the forced fumble, two quarterback hits as well. He looked pretty gassed late in the game, but for what they got out of Kenny Clark, you almost think it's worth it to have him out there as many snaps as he was. I'm still interested to see if Kingsley Keekley gets off the bench here in the next couple weeks to give Clark a little bit of a break. They just need more big bodies in there. But hey, if Clark can take it, Get him out there and get as much out of him as you can. That That's good stuff because he's playing at a dominant level. Uh, to circle back to Cousins, this was his third fumble of the season, or those were his third and fourth fumbles of the season, his 13th then since joining Minnesota. The same time span as before, he had 13 fumbles in 18 games with Washington. Or if you just look at the same time span, if, if we're looking at 18 starts over his final 18 starts, he also had 13 fumbles in Washington. Not great there. Let's talk for a second about special teams. Um, J.K. Scott was great again. Averaged 47.6 yards per punt on eight punts. One landed inside the punt. One, 20. One touchback kind of came at an inopportune time, but you'll live with that ultimately. Chad Beebe was held to just 25 yards on four punt returns with a long of 15. Not too bad there. You'll probably live with those numbers. So that's why it happened. What do we make of this game, though, overall? Well, the offense obviously remains a work in progress. I do think it's going to get better, but right now it seems to be a little bit more on Aaron Rodgers than Matt LaFleur. Sure, Matt LaFleur has to keep Aaron Rodgers playing like he does early in today's game, but I think Rodgers is responsible for a lot of these things that are not going well. Many of the same criticisms that were brought up against Rodgers last year and really over the last couple of years still apply to him early this season. He's kind of got bad feet sometimes, doesn't really set his feet. He doesn't make plays on schedule often enough, and he's getting the Packers to the line pretty slow, even despite wearing that play-calling wristband today. At least two of those three looked better at times today. He made more plays on schedule than he has, 
And he did get them to the line pretty quick, at least early in the game. That did get worse as the game went on, but it at least happened better early on. I'm not sure the feet are ever going to get better. It's I don't think at this point in his career he's going to improve his footwork a whole lot, although if he is making plays on schedule from the pocket, that probably offsets a little bit of that. And if he can still make plays outside the pocket, um, there are – it's okay. I, you can forgive it a little bit if he's still making those plays. Should also be recalled, or should we should also recall that the defense just looks like it can win games by itself. Even if the Packers only put up 21 points here in Week 2 or – 10 points in week one, the defense looks like it has enough juice to pull those games out of the fire. Now, you'd prefer to not have to lean on your defense like that, but they have, and they've gotten away with it here in the first two weeks. And with Joe Flacco coming to town next weekend, you might think that it would be the case again. Ultimately, 2-0 to start the season and 2-0 in the division is never a bad place to be. And that's where the Packers are right now. Even if it was ugly in week one at times, even if it was ugly in week two at times, they are 2-0, and and you shouldn't look that gift horse in the mouth if you don't have to. Let's try to avoid getting too down over a 2-0 and start when they very easily could have been 0-2. Let's talk about a couple random stuff from throughout this game. I don't like to harp on the officiating, but it looked pretty bad out there today. Multiple penalties on that one punt return just looked really bad. The offensive, punt, uh, offensive pass interference review on the Vikings touchdown was hugely helpful to the Packers, but man, is that a bad rule, and I'm not sure it was t- uh, terribly well applied in that situation. It just never seemed like they had super tight control of this game. Some refs, they run a, a tight ship. Um, penalties are called out smoothly. Uh, there are not a lot of penalties. Other times, you get what you got today, and it seems like the refs are more of a focus than they probably should be. Jimmy Graham had a bit of a quiet game in this one, a very quiet game, in fact, but he was on the field with Mercedes Lewis on a key run on the Packers' first offensive drive. According to Ted Wynn of The Athletic, uh, he was never on the field in a two-tight end set all of last week. So if that is, in fact, true... Uh, Graham and Lewis being together on the field early in this one is something worth watching and paying attention to. And he did seem to have a key block on that Aaron Jones run. Now, to be fair, it also did not go so well on a late key third down play when he ended up blocking, ended up blocking Daniil Hunter one-on-one. That is a bad idea. And it ended with a sack. Please do not do this again. Now, it's bad that Jimmy Graham did not execute it. That should, you know, you should call out Jimmy Graham for not doing his job there. He has to get him blocked if that's his job. But it's also on the coaching staff for putting Jimmy Graham in that situation. It's like the frog in the scorpion story. It's in my nature. Sure, you don't want Jimmy Graham to give up key third down sacks, but if you put Jimmy Graham in a situation where he can give up a key third down sack, That's probably what's going to happen. And if you're expecting him to make the block there against what could be the Vikings' best pass rusher, you're probably going to have a tough time. On the Packers' defense, Zadarius Smith didn't have a sack or a quarterback hit today, but if you look back at his defense against the run, it was great. He set a pretty hard edge against Dalvin Cook and the Vikings' run game, especially early in this one. Go back and watch the Vikings' first drive. It's a clinic on setting the edge there by number 55. It's interesting to see the leader that he is blossoming into for the Packers. 
I called Xavier Rhodes versus Devontae Adams one of my key matchups to watch in this one. The Packers, I think, won both of my key matchups for what it's worth. The Rhodes versus Adams and the Packers defensive front against the Vikings offensive line. Uh, But let's talk about Rhodes and Adams here just for a second. The Packers did some interesting things to get Adams away from Rhodes, especially early on. On the Packers' second drive in particular, Adams lined up in some unique spots. He had two catches out of the slot and even motioned into the backfield at one point. Uh, One of those catches from the slot was on a third and five. The second was on a third and four where the Packers motioned into an empty set, which was cool to see. On the Packers' next drive, Xavier Rhodes did something that I've never seen from him or have rarely seen from him when he's gone up against uh, Devontae Adams. He gave him a completely free release off the line. No jam, wasn't like within three yards of him when Adams was coming off the line. I thought that was very unusual. I'd be interested to know uh, if that was intentional by by Mike Zimmer or if that's something that Rhodes decided to do just from a technique standpoint. All in all, Adams finishes with 106 yards on nine targets. A little bit lower yards per target than you'd probably like, but 106 yards is 106 yards. We'll finish on this. And uh, I don't want to finish on a downer, but this just sticks in my mind and I can't get rid of it. So I'll leave it with you and you can make of it what you will. Two play sequences are really concerning for me from Aaron Rodgers today. On the Packers' seventh drive, we're late in the second quarter. The Packers are facing a third and one um, deep in Vikings territory. Now, the Packers run a route that's actually short of the sticks. Uh, Aaron Rodgers completes a pass to Geronimo Allison, but Allison can't get the first down. The Packers hustle to the line and try to get a playoff and run a run play right into the teeth of the Vikings' defense. I liked the decision at the time to try to get to the line quickly. I did not like the play call. But after the game, it became apparent that Aaron Rodgers thought that the Packers had actually gotten a first down on a close spot on the third down play, and he was rushing to get to the line to try to avoid a review there. On the Packers' 13th drive of the game, we're late in the fourth quarter here, Aaron Rodgers had another really bad play sequence. He threw too high to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who made a catch but got pushed out of bounds. And then he left a throw short to Aaron Jones. It ended up coming behind him. It fell incomplete as well. Facing a third and 10, the Packers ran a route short of the sticks. Three and out, punt the ball back to the Vikings, giving them a chance to win the game late. These two play sequences together, you have bad decision making on the first one and bad execution on the second. These are two critical drives. One where the Packers are potentially driving for points late in the first half and instead gave the Vikings an opportunity to get on the board late. And then you're trying to put the game away late. Two very, very important drives, and Rodgers has to be better there. This is stuff that should have been ironed out by now, and this is not something that needs to get figured out by playing more in the preseason. This is a multiple, multiple year starting quarterback who should be doing better at these things at these points in the game. He's not, and that should be a little bit concerning. Again, you can't be too bummed about a 2-0 start, especially winning against two solid teams like the Bears and the Vikings. But there are some reasons for concern as well, and we have to take both of them. What happens next? Well, the Packers have the Broncos at home next week at Lambeau Field. Broncos had a tough loss to the Bears today. They are 0-2 now in the Vic Fangio era. They got a little bit of a rough go here late in this game against the Bears after uh, converting a late two-point conversion to go up by a point. Uh, The Bears come down and score. 
Them's the breaks, but it was it was a rough loss there. From us, look for an interview with a Broncos writer coming out this Wednesday. We'll have more details of that about that on Wednesday, but I'm really excited about this. I think we've got a great person giving us a little bit of perspective from the Broncos sideline. And then a normal preview from us coming uh, next Friday to your podcast feed. For now, enjoy the 2-0 Green Bay Packers. It's been a while since we've been in this situation. I had fun with this game, tense though it was down the stretch. Try to enjoy it for a couple days here. Enjoy being on top of the NFC North. So I've got for you on this episode, if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and a review wherever you would happen to listen. And I, I can't go too far here before I take a second to give a shout out to our listeners on YouTube. That's right. We started uploading all of our shows to YouTube, not too, uh, not too far in the past here. And I'm really thankful for everybody who's chosen to listen there. And for by and large being pretty supportive uh, in the comments as well. I tried to not read the comments a whole lot, but if you are a YouTube listener and you've left a comment, by and large, you've been leaving pretty friendly comments. And that is, from my experience, a, an exception in the YouTube community. Uh, other than a couple Lions fans who took me to task uh, earlier um, in, in training camp, it's been by and large a pretty friendly pr- place. And I'm thankful for that. It makes it a lot easier on me and on Gary, who's keeping an eye on that stuff as well. So thank you for that. Uh, leave us a like on this video if you're listening on YouTube as well and tell some of your friends. If you want to give us some support, uh, leave us a, a buck a month at patreon.com slash the power sweep. It helps, helps offset some of our costs. You can also choose to buy one of our fine t-shirts or sweatshirts from our Teespring store. Click the shop link at thepowersweep.com to find your way there. As always, every bit of feedback, whether you leave it as an email, a comment, a tweet, a Facebook message, whatever, helps us make this entire operation better. Never hesitate to reach out, to ask a question, to do anything, because all of that stuff helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been John Meerdink, your host. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.